How cool that Paul creates this image for us. God, he's the root system and we're grafted in and, and we're the weak ones, but we're the ones who, who he chooses to use to carry out his purpose. You're listening to If That Makes Sense, a family life podcast about what life is really like following Jesus. My name is Tim, and I'm in Family Life's radio department. I am Robbie in Family Life's performing arts department. And my name is Mike. I work in Family Life's performing arts and events department. This has uh, been fun doing these series of episodes because we're looking at the book of Romans and it's fine to jump in wherever you first start listening. This will be your first episode, even though it's Romans 11 we're talking about. That's fine. This is where we're talking today and it is, as we always say, a perspective from people who are not pastors. We're not pastors who don't have ministry degrees. We're just Christians like you looking at God's word and talking about what we're seeing there. So we hope it's helpful for you. Hope you enjoy being a part of the conversation with us. And it's a pretty big chapter today, so buckle in on God's word here. We've got three different versions we're reading out of. And there goes Robbie's buckle. Buckled. Robbie's going to start us off. What version do you got there, Robbie? See, this is the New Living Translation, which I've just been recently introduced to, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Mike's going to follow up. He's also got the New Living, and uh, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV here, the English Standard Version, when we get to me. So in case you cared what versions you were hearing. Robbie, <laughs> let's start off with you. I ask then... Has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah, the prophet, complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. It is the same today. For a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So, this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they're looking for so earnestly. A few have the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. As the scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes so they do not see and closed their ears so they do not hear. Likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs be bent forever. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. 
They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. I'm saying all this especially for you, Gentiles. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who are dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there because you do believe, so don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You by nature were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.
Paul uh, has, wow, a lot to say here. Uh-huh. Basically, you can say that after every one of these chapters, yeah, yeah, yeah. which oh, is yeah. a good reason to listen to all the episodes and read the book for yourself. But wow, a lot is going on here. A lot more than we can really fully get into. It, it just it just reminds me of a of a pop song. I feel like God wrote a pop song about his girlfriend, <laughs> and his girlfriend runs away, and he's jealous, so he's dating somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, this is what it reminds me. There's all these pop songs about. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm reading this. This, right. this is God's pop song about trying to make his girlfriend jealous. Well, that's that's um. I don't know if I feel super flattered by it or not, but wow, that's uh. As there's a point. I mean, <laughs> he literally does say uh, this is his way of making them jealous, being like, hey, this is what you had. You don't anymore. Um, unfortunately, sadly, we can't take the metaphor too much further before right, it gets right. into like some sort of weird triangle. <laughs> I, just, um, I had to throw that out there, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you did because that's definitely the first time I've thought of any of Paul's writings being like a pop song. Yep. But right. wow, that's, I mean, that's, there. there is that. But he does talk a lot about like the relationship between Jew and Gentile and well, this podcast isn't the place we can get into all that, and that's probably the realm for somebody who does have a theological degree of some sort. Like what I can say anyways is like the context Paul is talking about is the people who used to follow God's law and were a part of his uh, group, his people, because that was the the way God had shown for people to be following him then were the Jews. And then we see, oh, wait, this whole program, it's getting opened up to everybody, basically everybody else, the Gentiles. And just imagine this, a little bit of a tangent here, but to think this is so crucial to Romans, the Jew-Gentile thing. If you had been the only ones who were in on God's thing for like all of history, basically, you know, when you're the Jews and, and this is the first century that you're living in, all of a sudden, it gets opened up to where everybody else can be in on this mm-hmm. thing with the God of Israel now too. And they don't have to follow the dietary laws and they never had to shave their beard in this certain way. And like that would, re- you would have some conflict. There'd be conflict. And a lot of times that conflict came down, uh, that's cultural conflict. In a lot of ways, that's ethnic conflict. So you can see why Paul had to write a book where a lot of it comes back to saying, now Jews and Gentiles, get along. You've both been chosen here. Right. This. They're they're supposed to coexist in this tree here. Well, yeah, and it's confusing for them, too, because it's like, wait a minute. I was supposed to stay away. I thought I was supposed to not be like these people, stay away from these people. And, ah, Samaritans, you know, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. Now now we're (laughs) – it would be difficult for them to unite with these people that in their minds they were supposed to not be with. And you know what the funny thing is, is the Old Testament never told God's people – not to not to um that's true associate with gentiles like they weren't supposed there were certain things they weren't supposed to do like marrying and stuff but they were actually supposed to Mm -hmm. basically be witnessing like it was a success when somebody from another nation wanted to become a jew and they could do that it wasn't just by birth like you could become a jew so over time prejudice and how those people those people who aren't in god's plan Over time, prejudice about how those people are set in to where they started thinking, you can't even be seen with a Gentile. You can't even walk into their home. Hmm. Well, guess what? That was never part of God's picture. Does that sound like that's not like God? Well, because it's not. And And, and that's what's so cool when Jesus shows up on the scene because he just totally (laughs) just does everything not like what a good little Jewish boy in their minds should do. He's out there eating with the tax collectors and sinners and... Oh, I just love it. And how much is it still like that for us today? Maybe mm-hmm. we don't have the Jew-Gentile distinction that we think about things. And, but don't we think about like good church people versus not? Like you could get frowned mm-hmm. upon 
for associating with somebody who talks a certain way. Like, oh, are you approving what they do? No, maybe I'm just loving them, the outsider, like Jesus did. So I'm going to look at verse 5 here. For a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. Then in seven, most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they're looking for so earnestly. A few have the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. It's just like, wow, it's, I think, very difficult for many people to be okay, at least from what I'm seeing here, that God chooses people. Which then I guess means he doesn't choose other people. And so in our little human minds, we're like, yeah, that's not, that isn't loving, that isn't fair, that isn't right. But it says he, it says it here, he chose, and it's. You're just pointing at the book, right? Ah! For a more full discussion about that topic than we'll probably have in this episode. You could always listen back to, I think Mm -hmm. it's when we talked about chapter nine, because chapter nine is where it gets right in all the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. One I I loved, one I hated. Yeah. 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 You both just said it there, the the hardening Pharaoh's heart. And well, actually, Robbie, you said the, yeah, about um, choosing Jacob and not choosing Esau. So we talk about that a little more um, in that episode. And I was going to say something clickbaity. The answer might not be what you expect. But uh, that's just because there isn't like a flat out answer. Like the Bible, the Bible basically says both things. Like, let's talk about that for a second here Mm -hmm. about election being chosen. Does the Bible talk in those terms? Yeah, we just read it right here. Like it actually does. Like some people like, I don't believe in predestination. I'm like, oh, that's a shame because Paul does. Like literally the word predestination is in the it's right there. It's right there <laughs> it, in the it, manuscript. It's very so uncomfortable. And it's mo- there. And there are, I, know, I know people who are like, mm, yeah, but, I, mm, I don't know well, about that. And, and there's reasons. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's uncomfortable. And I'm not just saying it's uncomfortable, that's, but that's the way it is. I'm just saying, no, no, look, guys, the word is in the Bible. So we can't say we don't believe in the word. Now you can tell me what you believe that word means. And that can be a more nuanced conversation. Does the Bible have hard things to say about how God chooses and how he redeems? Yes, it does. And the, they're, they're complicated things. <laughs> there are things we talked about in episodes earlier than this one at greater length and episodes that people smarter than us are more qualified to give you a pastoral opinion on. But basically, the way I'm seeing what Paul talks about here, these people still have a choice. He does talk about the ones... He says the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. He says that, but like these people also have a choice. It's going to come back to God is going to be good and he's never going to give us something we don't deserve. Verse 23, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, Hmm. will be grafted in for God has the power to graft them in again. So right there in the same passage, you've got Paul talking about how hey, it's not a done deal for these people. God can bring them back in. So 
Yeah, Paul talks about some uncomfortable things that we need to spend some time thinking about, like election. What does that mean? And being chosen, what does that mean? And being hardened in your heart, what does that mean? It's big picture, but you got to read the whole book to get it. Mm-hmm. And basically, Paul, <laughs> Paul never, Paul never ever takes away the importance of how you choose to respond to Jesus. And you have there in verse 33 <laughs> how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Yes. You're like, at the end of the day, you have to choose if you trust him or not. Yeah. Do you trust that he is good or not? We just spent some time up at the Hyde Farm, uh, Mike's parents' farm, and talking to their neighbor, and she mentioned trees and grafting. Hmm. And we had a really interesting conversation with someone who has dealt with it. Yeah, so I was doing some research on why do we graft things? There must be some sort of advantage to that. And um, the the thing I found, so there's there's what's called the rootstock, or that's the thing that's already in the ground. And then the thing that goes into it is called, and I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, maybe scion or scion. I'll just call it branch because that's what the Bible calls it. <laughs> Some smart but, farmer out there will help yeah. you out. Yeah. The, so the cool thing, so why do we graft? Well, the root stock that's already there in the ground is stronger. It's hardy. It's sturdy. It'll make it through the winter if it gets really cold out. It already has an established root system. And so I thought that's interesting in scripture um, Christ, God's referred to as the the root, um, the strong, the, the hardy, the sturdy, the steady, the, the unchanging. And then why would you want to graft something into that? Well, because the branch is usually carries some sort of precious material, um, the fruit. The the branch has this this precious thing with it, but the branch is is weak. It's susceptible to disease and death on its own. Um, usually the reason you graft something in is because just just cutting the thing and then planting it in the ground itself, oftentimes it's just going to die. It's not going to make it. So you put it into this established rootstock. It has a much better chance of surviving. So I thought that was interesting. The branch... God talks about us having worth. We're created in his image. We are precious in his sight like this branch, but on our own. We're also weak. We're susceptible to falling. And, and so we need something to, to, um, to be grafted into. And then this last thing I found that was so interesting, this article was talking about when you graft something in, it requires creating a wound in the rootstock for the branch to to go into. Mm. And that just made me think of Christ and, and the cross. Mm. And, and we talk about the sacred head that was wounded and how cool that Paul creates this image for us that thousands of years later, we farmers still do this because mm. it's still the best practice to get the fruit on the trees that you want. And there's just all this cool imagery of, of God as, as the God who was willing to be wounded 
for us and and he is he's the root system and we're grafted in and and we're the weak ones but we're the ones who who he chooses to to use to to carry out his purpose so it was really cool that is so cool mm-hmm. i love that idea that it's because of a a breaking, a wound that happened in the tree's past that we can even be part yeah. of it. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really beautiful. And then the fact that he uses an olive tree. Okay, he could have used any tree and like it's that part of the world. There are a lot of olive trees, so like it makes sense. Maybe, I have no idea. Maybe that was a tree that was easily or commonly grafted. Maybe those are all reasons, probably. But my kind of more poetic mind way of looking at this thing is like, Olive tree, olive branch. What does that mean? It's a universal symbol of peace. And it was all the way back then. Mm -hmm. It's basically been a symbol of peace with God since the dove brought an olive branch back to Noah. Noah on the ark. Like since he got that olive branch back from that dove signifying um, like uh, there's peace. There's peace between man and God. So I think that's really, really cool that this is an olive tree that Paul's talking about. Because, also a plug for more episodes of this show, if you've been listening, earlier we talked about how we were at war with God. Like, that's how all of us start out, is at war with God. Before you know Jesus, you're at war with God. But Mm -hmm. he makes peace between us because of Jesus, the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So peace, the symbol of peace, this olive tree, all in that tree together, this big family of peace grafted in together because of a wounding that took place, but now healing. Oh, there's so much beautiful imagery in that. There's something else that kind of blew my mind when I was talking to my neighbor about, about this process of grafting the, the tree that's already in the ground and the branches that get grafted into it don't have to be the same. What? I was thinking, oh, if the apple tree is in the ground, then you have to take the same exact apple tree branch and graft it in. Sure. That's not the case. Now, obviously, it won't work in every situation. There there have to be some similarities, but just that, that God specifically mentioned the olive, the wild olive tree there. Cool picture of the Jews and the Gentiles. They're both, they can both be grafted into the same tree, and yes. that works. And the other interesting thing about olives and olive trees and the olive trees growing in the Garden of Gethsemane and that area is where they would press the olives. And the only way to get the goodness from the olive is to press it and squeeze it and crush it. And what was Jesus? He was crushed. He was pressed. He was squeezed. And because of that, you know, we now have something good and glorious from it. Yeah. No, you can't make this stuff up. He just packs he packs his world with images for us to understand. There's a lot more phrases that we could spend a lot of time on in Romans 11, but there's one more that I think each of us, and maybe it stood out, it says it a different way in your translation, but for me, it's verse 32 in my translation says it this way. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Did that stick out to anybody? I definitely underlined that. I'm like, what? what? I, I, That's you know. crazy. I just kept going because it didn't make sense. So <laughs> I'd rather not think about this. <laughs> it's one of those, like at first, it, it yeah, it hits you that way. Like God is 
bound up everyone to disobedience, consigned all to disobedience. How does yours say it? Imprisoned. Imprisoned. God? Imprisoned? <laughs> them to disobedience? What? Everyone in disobedience. So he could have mercy on everyone. For me, though, when I see that, like my first response is like that kind of mystified, well, that, that doesn't sound nice. That mm. doesn't sound right. But then you see why that he may have mercy on all. A question that came to mind, it's kind of a rhetorical question that came to mind as I was reading this was, would you have a problem with God doing this, you know, consigning you to disobedience, basically fading you to, you know, destining you to, to, uh, to disobedience? Would you have a problem with God doing that if the whole reason he did it was so that he could then turn around and show you his mercy? Mm-hmm. Would you be able to complain about it? If the end goal, if the end goal was you receiving his mercy, because if you've sinned, you can't, you, you, Jesus says that uh, only the sick know that they need a doctor. Yeah. If you're not sick, can he heal you? If you're not broken, can he put you back together? It's like, oh yeah. Hmm. Okay. I, I guess when you put it that way, I don't have as big a problem being, being a part of having this be part of my story. And I like to think if we don't like the fact that God would take that kind of control over our lives, that he could that he could destine some sort of disobedience so that he could then destine a greater mercy to be shown. I like to think if we don't like that, do we think we'd be better off without God's influence in our life? Mm-hmm. Like, do we think if he took his hand off, we'd actually have a chance of doing better? Mm-hmm. If you're hearing this and feeling, thinking, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't add up. Those things don't. Then you're kind of feeling, I think, what what Paul's writing to. Read the whole book. Don't just take our word for it in this one episode. Um, and also it says he could have mercy on everyone. Yeah. So he could have mercy on everyone. It literally, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Your translation says everyone. My translation says all. Either way you look at it, it's like God's picture here. The point of all of this isn't to take away people's responsibility. It's not to take away the weight of, of what's really evil and horrible and wrong and should never happen in this world. It's not to do any of those things. The point here, Paul says, is so that God can have mercy. The point is so that he can be seen as glorious. The point is so that he can be seen as, as wise. Do we have a mathematical way we can break down what the interplay and relationship is between your free will and God's sovereignty? No, none of us can break that down. And and frankly, even if somebody was a pastor, I don't think they could fully break that out for you either. I think the only place we can leave it is where Paul leaves it. Mm -hmm. Oh, the depth of the riches and Mm -hmm. wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable, unsearchable (laughs) are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. We can't figure him out. And praise God for that, because he's better at being God than we ever could be. <laughs> I think sometimes I picture God up there looking down, think, watching watching us try and try and figure him out, try and take something like Romans 11 and turn it into this black and white thing that our brains can process. And just what you said, getting to the, the last verse here, everything comes from him, exists by his power, and is intended for his glory. I just think that that's a part of why sometimes the Bible is a little difficult to understand. It's why I read Romans 11 and I walk away and I think I'll have one of two responses. Either 
This makes no sense to me. I don't I don't get it. God, I could have done a better job. That's that's the small view of God. That's the view where I could do a better job being God. Or you can walk away like Paul walks away and thinking, wow, God, I don't understand all of this. And I think it brings you glory when we gather here in this room and we talk about it. When we end at this place where we say, wow, God is amazing. God is great. God is big. And he's good. And just because I don't understand how that works all the time. It doesn't take away from his goodness. And so I love that that's the conclusion. That's where we end this podcast with how good is God? And to anybody that's listening and and wondering, how does this apply to my life? What about me? I'm going through this struggle or that struggle. One of the most helpful things to me is just thinking about how good God is. It starts to take away those those walls and those those burdens. It doesn't it doesn't make them non-existent, but it just reminds me that I'm not alone. I'm with an amazingly mighty God who is good. Thank you for joining us for If That Makes Sense, the family life podcast about what life is really like as a young adult following Jesus. If you enjoy the show, please send it to a friend. Your genuine appreciation of the show is the best way for word to get out. And it would make our day if you left us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. Family Life has more great original podcasts that you can check out at familylife.org podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you along for the next one.